John X. Thank you for joining us. Glad to have you back once again. And on this week's show, I bring back someone, finally, that I first interviewed four years ago. Now, I met this person at Denver Film Festival. He was promoting a movie there. I found him fascinating. I found the movie terrific. And ever since then, he has become one of my favorite social media follows. Because you never know where he's going to pop up next, what he's doing, or where he's going to go. I'm talking about Andrew Novick. Now, Andrew Novick was the director of Jean Benet's Tricycle, a movie that I absolutely adored. When I first heard about it, you go, ooh, Jean Benet's Tricycle, that sounds salacious or scandalous or just icky, right? Because living in Colorado, we have had so much Jean Benet Ramsey coverage over the last however many years it's been now that part of you wonders, do I have the appetite for this? And I will tell you unequivocally that the movie is incredible. It is not what you think it's going to be. It's incredibly well curated. It lends itself to new insights, to moments of pure joy. I mean, you really go through the ringer emotionally in this movie, it, it, like in the best way possible. It is so much fun. And since then, Andrew has become one of my favorite social media follows. And we talk about some of that on this week's show. We talk about the puzzle hunt that he did during the pandemic. We talk about his work with Casa Bonita, because if you think of Andrew Novick for one thing, like the first thing you're probably going to think of is his association with Casa Bonita. He went there like 300 times. And in this show, we talk about how he tried to save it. We talk about how he almost ended up buying it. We talk about when the South Park guys came in. He gives us the whole story, the whole rundown. It's in the back half of this episode. You're not going to want to miss it. But Andrew's also associated with Meow Wolf. We talk about how. We talk about places of memory in the city. We talk about how old Denver in many ways is gone. And while that's sad and you want to pay tribute to it, you can't get trapped in nostalgia either. We went a little long on this episode. And you know what? That's okay. For someone like Andrew, I am happy to go long. And he's one of those guests where I'm like, you know, I should really probably invite him back just once a year. We should catch up on all the things that he's doing because it's fascinating. We talk about travel. We talk about punk rock. We talk about civic engagement. We talk about all sorts of things in this episode. And he is the type of person that I could spend a month of Sundays talking to. So it is my pleasure, it is my privilege to bring this episode to you and keep you up to date on what Andrew Novick is doing. Now, one quick plug before we do that. Andrew gives you a lot of links in the back end of this episode, like right at the end, like we always do, we do plugs. You can find all those links, not only at the John of All Trades website, that's johnofalltrades.us, but in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeart, whatever, here's what I'll ask you to do. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you've enjoyed any episode I've done and you have not done this already, take like two seconds and leave us a rating. If you want to take a couple more seconds, write a review. It can be a couple of lines about something you liked on the show, something that I do, something that Andrew said. It doesn't matter. But the more ratings and the more reviews you have, the more visibility you get in iTunes. The other thing that helps, subscribe. 
you hit that subscribe button, brand new episodes will come to you. You don't even have to do anything. I promise I'll take you on a fun journey with all sorts of interesting people. I've proven that over the last almost eight years now, good God, and I have no intention of stopping. So those three things, rate, review, subscribe, you do that, that's phenomenal. Now then, we got a long episode ahead of us, and it's packed, and it's fascinating, and you're going to love it. Episode 319 features Andrew Novick, and it starts right now. Always, almost every time. <laughs> and I, I I do a lot of different things in a lot of different realms. So like, yeah. I always like kind of sharing with somebody like what I do in some other realm that they didn't know about, you know, like people <laughs> know me from being in a band and then they find right. out I design puzzles or whatever. And like, nobody knows my day job because I don't really cross those things too much. But if I tell them I measure atomic clocks, around the world <laughs> as my day job like they're like wait what so it's it's awesome i love i love being able to have something that people don't know that i can tell them later well dude i'll tell you this um one of my guiding philosophies is always keep them guessing no matter what you're doing always keep them guessing and you literally always keep me guessing which is why you're one of my favorite social media followers <laughs> that's awesome i appreciate that i and i also i try not to post that often i think yeah. too like I don't yeah. post the mundane, like what I ate for breakfast, unless it's something amazing, of course, which <laughs> of course I do. But um, yeah, so I try, I mean, I really try to not post too often because I want people to appreciate, you know, posts. I don't want them to pass by something that right. I don't mind. So yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. You don't want something banal, something facile. You, like you, you want what you're posting to be meaningful and, and, you know, of interest to people. Is that yeah, what you describe? Yeah. So this is Andrew Novick, and we talked, what was that, like four years ago, probably more, a little more than four years ago at Denver Film Festival for Jean Benet's Tricycle, which was a film that you were showing there and a, a documentary that I saw that, man, speaking of keeping me guessing, that was a movie I walked into going, I think I know what this is going to be about, but I sure as hell didn't. And I, I was just delighted by how many twists and turns it took and by the amateur sleuthing, it kind of encouraged me to do where I'm like, oh man, so who actually did this? And so it, I've been following you ever since. Um, I ran into my friend, Chris Getson, who we can talk about here in a little bit. And he said, dude, you got to reconnect with Andrew. And I go, just give me an excuse. Okay. Like <laughs> if you tell me that that's phenomenal. So Let's start there because we initially connected over Jean Bonnet's tricycle. Where does it stand today? You know, almost everyone who sees it that I get to talk to, like, really likes it. Yeah. But there's a lot of people who haven't watched it. Like, you know, even people I know on social media or like people in like the web sleuthing groups, like the there's there's like tons of groups out there of people who are trying to solve the Jean Bonnet case, you know. And I thought this movie's for them because it's about them and it's about people who are obsessed with true crime and not about that case in particular, but about just our fascinations with unsolved mysteries and even like the power of objects. You know, I collect all these I collect almost everything and Oh my God. I remember talking about that and you described to me your house and I thought, dude, that sounds like, uh, like going to Candyland. 
in a lot of yeah. ways. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like the, it's the house of ephemera, you know, it's like, yeah. <laughs> got a story, everything's interesting, like to me, you know, and, and other people, but, but then people, people thought this, this movie, maybe on the, based on the title or whatever, but they thought it was going to be some exploitation. It's like making light of this, the case or the murder or the tricycle or whatever. But really, I mean, yeah, I, I understand the title is like a, it's supposed to be like a grabber. Like, wait, what, yeah. what about this tricycle? But I, I mean, I think in some sense it backfired because like people really mm. like the movie if they watch it. And if they don't watch right. it, they, they, they don't, they were like, I don't know. I've seen enough about that, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. Do, do people think it's going to be like lurid, like some Geraldo Rivera deal? I, I, I guess. I, th- I mean, I think that they, they think, I think they think it's going to be making light of it, but really okay. I mean, it's like, it's going, it's going kind of intellectual on it, right? It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tra- how do we deal with tragedy as a society? And like, why were we so obsessed with this? How come it never got solved? And all the foot, like every show about it, I think is more exploitative than what I did. Like, I don't have any footage of JonBenet dancing in pageants. Like no. everything has that. That to me is horrific. So uh, Agreed. Yeah. I don't know. But we, what your, to answer your question, I, you know, I tried, tried, I worked with an agent to try to get it distributed in theaters or through, uh, you, you know, through uh, broadcast TV. And that didn't work. And then streaming and that didn't work. So I ended up putting it, um, doing my own streaming just through Vimeo. Vimeo is cool because it's, it's a high quality source. Like people, yeah. you know, film, film types watch Vimeo, but also it had the options of being on Apple TV and Fire Stick and Roku. Yeah. So I feel like at least people have a chance of watching it on their TV and not just on their computer. Cause that, I don't really want someone to watch it on their phone or their computer, but whatever. I just want them to see it. So, so I, so it's streaming now and I'm actually getting some reviews now because it kind of has a little bit of a new life because it's online. And, um, so yeah, I'm excited that people can now, you can rent it on Vimeo for like a couple bucks. So yeah. Well, and Vimeo is cool because yeah, I mean, I have a Vimeo app on my TV. And so we met through Denver Film Fest initially. And a lot of the festival screeners will be through Vimeo as well. And like the, the video quality and the sound quality is really good. And like you, you throw it on, like, you know, I mean, what are, what are flat screen TVs these days? Like 400 bucks, like as, as far as technology goes, it's pretty accessible. So you get like a nice experience at home. And, you know, this is a film that is made with a lot of care and like a high degree of detail. And I mean, I know you said people are worried that you're making light of it, but you know, there's a playful element to the movie as well, which is really, really enjoyable. Yeah, I I agree. I think it's, it's, it's very, it's meant to talk about pop culture and how, you know, murder, like from Manson to JFK, those things became pop culture. And we really talk about, you know, why is that? Because those are horrific acts that happen, but (laughs) totally. Um, you know, the professor in, in my movie who, who my mom thanked after, after she saw the movie at the premiere, she's yeah. like, thank you for making my son not look totally crazy, <laughs> you know, cause he, cause he brought in this intellectual aspect of like, you know, pop culture is a way to kind of embody or encase things and to be able to understand it. Because if you think about a murder as a murder, like that's awful. And so it's horrifying. Kind of, yeah. If you can stand on the spot where JFK got shot, like you can kind of, 
even though that seems kind of silly and bizarre, like it, it's a way to like put yourself there in a, in a, in a more um, kind of tangible way than just thinking about what you see on uh, the film. Well, there's, there's a philosopher and a communication scholar named Kenneth Burke who has a theory called equipment for living and pop culture gives us equipment for living. It's a way to deal with tragedy. It's a way to understand our own shortcomings. It's a way, you know, for instance, you could view someone like even Homer Simpson as being equipment for living, where some of your worst impulses are to sit on the couch, drink beer, watch TV and eat junk food. And by virtue of watching Homer Simpson do that, you exercise some of those demons and you go, oh man, so I see myself in that, but I don't want to fully be that, right? So, I mean, one of the most horrific things you could ever imagine is a child murder. And so through a pop culture lens, it gives you a little bit of intellectual distance to where you can process it in a more kind of, uh, you know, call it intellectual way or uh, a detached way to where you're not internalizing those terrible, terrible feelings or, you know, the fears that you have on a very deep level, you get to actually sort of wrestle with them in a safe environment. Yeah, that's it. I like that equipment for living. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Um, I'm actually doing an, an interview with a, um, a reading group that studies critical theory. And he's, he's like, he's like, I love this movie. My critical theory group would love this. Like they'd love to talk about it. So it's like, I don't know a lot about critical theory, but it definitely fits, I think, in there. And he, I'm excited to get, get really deep in it with people who, who are in that, you know, realm. Well, and I've also got to thank you. Uh, you've helped me achieve a minor live stream where uh, something that I said is quoted in the trailer of a movie. So, nice. so thank you for that. I, uh, I've been thanked in the liner notes of an album by a band. So in terms of like pop culture ephemera, we were talking about that. You know, that's, that's sort of a minor cool thing where you get to go, oh, cool. Yeah, like something I said is being used uh, by the makers of this. And so like it all kind of comes full circle that way. So uh, that's just that's a fun thing. And I just wanted to say thank you. Awesome. Cool, man. Yeah. So one of the things I joked about when I got together with Chris and he brought your name up and Chris is a good friend of mine because he and I are both pro wrestling super freaks. Ah, cool. And so like, well, we just, we talk about WWE and AEW and whatever else. And he is just as wonky and sort of nerdy as I am when it comes to some of this stuff. And I mean, Chris is one of the smartest guys I, I know. Oh yeah, for sure. But, um, I joked with him. I said, "Conversation." He mentions kayfabe. <laughs> yeah. he, he's one of the only other people I know who uses kayfabe, like in real life. Uh, uh, I use that term too all the time. I maybe we're both carnies at heart. Who knows? You know, I mentioned to him. I said, "I have this like low key fantasy where I want to follow you around for a month and write like one of those ten or twenty thousand word pieces you read about, uh, just because you're involved in so much." And he mentioned when he was working at a, at a former job of his, he mentioned the scavenger hunt. And before we got on Mike, you, you called it something else. And can you tell me a little bit about that? Like what, what goes into that? Because when he described it to me, I go, man, that sounds really cool. Um, now, unfortunately I have young children, so I don't get out all that much. So I don't have time to dedicate to that, but uh, tell me a little bit about that. How did it start and what was it? Yeah. So I, I called it a puzzle hunt because I think scavenger hunt people, People, people know a scavenger hunt is like, here's a list of things you got to go find. You know, right, right, right. Find a guy with an eye patch and find a blue book <laughs> or whatever, you know, like inconsequential yeah, things. 
just to see if you can find it, you know? Sure. Sure. Yeah. It's it's like a, it, it's like a goofy test. Right. Or like, right. even like the, um, let's make a deal. Like, you know, who has like a, a lighter in their pocket or whatever, you know, right, right, right. Really inconsequential thing. But what, but Chris wanted to do, it was a, a relevant and historical thing. Um, and we, we had an event planned that got canned because of COVID because it was an indoor, really cool thing. And so he's like, what can we do? You know, we still have this budget. Like, what can we do with that? And I, I was like, you know, it has to be something kind of outside. That was 2020, you know? Yeah. And I was like, what can we do outside that really get people engaged? And I was like, oh, let's get them to go around and like solve puzzles about their city. And so there was this whole narrative about this lost book this woman was writing. Um, and she was a professor, or she was a, t- uh, a grad student. Um, and she was really involved in, you know, like protests and um, kind of equity, like in the seventies and early eighties or whatever. And she started writing this book, but then she disappeared. The book was never published. Is this something you made up? So, yeah. So that's a, that's a narrative that Chris came up with, okay. but we didn't, we didn't really espouse that. Like we never lied about that. It was not real, but <laughs> we also didn't say it was not real like only if people asked about it because because people really got caught up in this thing it was called the lost book of astrid lee and so you get you'd you'd show up and we you get this dossier was this orange folder and there's all this stuff in there like parts parts of the book like that were found in a construction site and like you're following in like astrid's footsteps and so you would get a clue and it's like, you got to solve this clue to, to un, unpack the, this mystery. And the clue, the very first clue was a puzzle that about where Astrid went to high school, which is in the dossier. And it's like it's something like it was where Astrid might've gone for lunch or something. And it ended up taking me to same cafe, which is, I don't know if you know, same cafe, but it's a pay what you want yeah. cafe. And if you don't have money, you can, work for them or you can trade them vegetables from your garden or whatever. So it's right. Like it's, it's like one of the only places in the city that does that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, it's awesome. It's such a cool place. So we wanted people, you know, a lot of these people like benefactors at the history museum and, and we wanted them to go somewhere they have never been. And I'm pretty sure they have it. So <laughs> sure. they solve the puzzle. They go there and it says, you know, if, if you find this place, ask for a side of democracy. And so it's like, what, because democracy was the kind of the overarching theme of, of that. And so they would go and they're like, oh, same cafe. And then we you know, ask for a side of something. So they had to order something. So they actually go through the process of <laughs> okay, what you want cafe. And they see all sorts of people there. When they ask for a side of democracy, the, the person working there would give them a job application. And so they had to fill out this job application. The job application had questions like, have you ever, have you ever had a say about the, the company you work for? Have you ever shared in the profits of the company that you work for? All these things about like, you know, you can make choices in your life about what you do. You're not totally helpless, if, hopefully. And so you filled out this application and then there was a puzzle at the bottom and it says, turn in your application here and you had to solve the next puzzle. And so we had people going to, Mutiny Information Cafe, where they oh, hell yeah. they got their next clue, and they got a poster by a local artist. And then that led them to 
a, 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 a county court or Denver uh, County Court building that was the very first um, public art. I can't remember the name of the program. There was a public art program um, where they actually put federal dollars into art for for uh, build, uh, building decoration. It was like these ram sculptures. And there you had to find a minister of, of, of ups and downs. <laughs> we had a professional yo-yo or yo-yo artist there and he's yo-yoing and and he could see and we said keep this dossier with you because you never know when you need to reference it so he could tell when people like they're walking around the court trying to like get in and he's like kind of has a whistle them over because like they didn't know or whatever but then he gave him a yo-yo with a qr code on it (laughs) that led him to a video of some denver wrestlers yes talking about work um work and unions and so you so you can see where we're we're engaging people and teaching people about history, democracy, work, unions, work life. Um they they had to go to Riverside Cemetery um and uh look at some gravestones of some famous old Denver turn of the century folks um who wow. are significant. So there so people really like unpacked a lot during this. So so it wasn't a scavenger hunt. It was a historical puzzle hunt, right? And, and so we did that that year. And then we did it again this year because COVID still, still was going on. <laughs> right. And this, and the one this year, um, or this past year was last September. We, it was a lot about music and film. So the whole first week was all about like old punk venues where like warehouses where they, you know, had illegal punk shows or they just steal power or, stuff that got closed down. And so people actually had to go to Wax Tracks Records and get a ticket. They, they had to listen to a song and we had changed the lyrics to a song. And the second year was about this band who Astrid Lee, who was the subject of the first yeah. one. She was their teacher because she, so they knew her in school and they were inspired by her teachings and they were in this band. So you, you're kind of following this band and you go get a ticket to their show. And that was the the clue to the next location, which was a venue that was in the early eighties in Denver. And then we took people to old theaters and all and music stores. And so it was like this music film thing. And like there again, people learned a bunch. We, and then we also, we used a bunch of local artists. Um, that second one, actually both of them, we enacted arts street, which is like a kind of after school program for, um, for kids. Um, uh, you know, that need stuff to do after, after school, you know, maybe, um, I don't know. They, they used to call it at risk teens. I think they call it something different now, but, but they made flyers for eighties shows, you know, these like high school age kids. We said, you can't use a computer. You have to, use, you have to make a flyer like we did in the eighties and, and you might have to draw a map or whatever. So Chris, <laughs> Chris gave them this, this task and they came up with like mind blowing, awesome. They looked up flyers. They they made up fake bands with like whole backstories. I mean, so we really engaged like a lot of people to help do it. And then the people that were doing it, like hundreds of people did this and just were blown away. And like these, these went on for like, you know, four weeks wow. you know, with more clues and, and stuff each week. Well, dude, it, it reminds me, and I brought this show up to Chris, which he'd never seen. There's a show out there called Dispatches from Elsewhere. Um, that was on AMC. Did you ever see that one? Yeah, I actually, I actually, um, did the Jejun Institute hunt. Oh, no kidding. Really? Yeah. 
Yeah. So I was actually part of it. Um, it was a little earlier than like dispatches from elsewhere and where Jejun Institute ended up like, and there was a doc, the documentary about it too. Yeah, yeah. The, the Institute that, that went into Oakland and Berkeley and stuff. And it got like a missing person and stuff. Like I did it before that, but I was hugely inspired by that because okay. like we literally, my friend's like, Hey, do you want to do this? And he showed me like a kind of a trailer for it. And it's just this weird institute and you got to go meet the thing and it's like am i, am I joining a cult <laughs> right <laughs> this office building near chinatown san francisco and you walk in it's like a saturday afternoon and there's like security guard and we're like we're here for like four like room 405 and they let you in the elevator with like a key awesome. and you come up and then you get indoctrinated and then they're like okay you got to get out of here now like they're coming like go down the stairs and like you spit back out into San Francisco with this, like just this one card and a Jejun Institute pencil. And you had to solve all of this stuff to get back. And then you end up back in that same building on a different floor to find out the key to the universe. Wow. <laughs> so, so I was like hugely into dispatches from elsewhere and um, the, the Institute, the documentary. And yeah, cause that's, that's, you know, and some of those things, I mean, I grew up in the D and D age like Dungeons and Dragons where you hear these stories about kids getting so into the the game and they're lost in tunnels under the city and you know like we we like fantasized that that was real you know we want to live and so this is a a little bit of a way for like an afternoon the Jejun Institute like where you could actually live in a weird thing where you don't know what's going on yeah where I mean a lot of a lot of people and if you take this too far, you know, you get things like Pizzagate, you know, where pe- people show up and they, you know, they think they're going to bust Hillary Clinton, you know, ch- trafficking children right, um, in, in the basement of this pizza restaurant. But, you know, people are hungry for meaning, for adventure, for, um, you know, just a different kind of experience, which is what made that show so interesting. I didn't much care for the way it ended, but, you know the experience itself, it it sent me down this rabbit hole where I just had to learn more about it. So when I got together with Chris and he told me that you all were working on this, first of all, he told me you were working on it. And I go, of course, like (laughs) where where else would Andrew Novick be besides uh, creating this in, you know, this incredibly experiential thing all throughout the city where you uncover history and you learn more about it and you learn more about democracy and labor. Um, And when I learned about it, I go, man, that is, that is phenomenal, especially during a pandemic where people are just looking for something else. And it reminds me of something I just recently read about you too, where new bar in Denver, the crypt, you know, there's all these <laughs> flyers for your band, the warlock pinchers just being posted outside there. And the owners are like, what is this? What's happening? Um, and, and it's just this guerrilla style where the city takes on, kind of this this subtle other life where there's like this lifeblood running underneath the city that is that is pure fun and pure imagination yeah and i think that and you'll see that in almost everything i do where like i don't want to explain what it's all about before i want it to unfold and let you let you wonder about it before i tell you more about it and like that kind of where you don't really have an expectation or you don't really know what's going to happen. People nowadays, 
I think they want to know too much about what's going to happen. They're like, okay, you know, when's this concert? What time's my band that I want to see going on? What kind of food is at this restaurant? Like they, yeah. they, they research everything so that when you get there, there's nothing really to discover. Like it's as per what you thought. I'm like, <laughs> it I, is as advertised. Yeah, as advertised. And I don't, I don't want to be as advertised. I want people to come to something not knowing what the heck it is. And this puzzle hunt, the great example. And you know, that thing with the flyers, um, that was like a, that was kind of a um, stem off of the, 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 this most recent puzzle hunt where people had to follow flyers for these old punk shows. And what we found out the first year is that some people just wanted more. Like we, some people just kind of barely almost got through it because it was a lot to do, but some people are like, I solved the thing and I wanted to, I wanted so much more. So we made these like kind of stems off of it where, okay, look, you got the clue. Here's your next clue for the the next thing. But if you want, go find, here's a list of old punk venues in Denver. Go find these and see what's there. And so I guerrilla style flyered for early eighties punk shows at the locations where the, I put flyers for the shows at the location of wherever that was. Yeah. Sometimes it's, parking lot sometimes it's a fancy apartment building um <laughs> the crypt there was that was a that was a place called the grove that in the early 80s it was like they they it was djs and bands and like um and that it, it was just papered the windows were all papered up so i just put the flyers like right on the window and then someone like took a picture of it like an hour later and like does anyone know who did this like I'll put all these flyers and they weren't trying to like bust me, but they were, the owners were like, this is so cool. We had no idea. You know, we're, we're putting in this punk bar. We found out this is a punk bar 35 years ago. Like, yeah. So they took in the flyers and they put them in frames inside. the restaurant. Inside oh, that's the- awesome. And so, yeah, so I, so I got to meet these amazing people and I gave them a bunch of more flyers. And I mean, it's just so cool. All the things that, that come out of these things. Yeah. It, <laughs> It, I mean, it, it brings a level of joy. Just, I mean, it reminds me, there was one time my wife and I were traveling and we just went to Milwaukee and we were going to see a Brewers game. And I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to show up in this parking lot because Milwaukee Brewers are the only team where people tailgate before baseball games. <laughs> and so we're going to show up and we're just going to party with strangers. And she goes, oh God, I don't like, I don't feel, and I go, babe, it's Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Okay. These are some of the friendliest people on earth. And literally we're going to show up and trust me, we're going to get food. We're going to get beer. They're going to, they're going to give it like, just, you have to go with me on this. And she goes, okay. So we show up there and God, within a half hour, the people on either side of us were offering us hamburgers. We were playing cornhole. We're having a great time. And as we're walking to the stadium, she goes, that was really fun. You were right about that. And so sometimes it's great to just show up someplace with no plan and have no idea what's going to happen. And just almost like in a way, what you're kind of instilling in people is like, just trust yourself here. You'll figure it out. It'll be fun. You don't need a roadmap. You don't need everything overscheduled. Just go and experience it. And geez, if you fail, who cares, right? Yeah, there's no, there's no exam. There's no, <laughs> yeah, it's know. not pass fail. Like, I mean, it kind of is, but like, there's no consequence to it. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think I, a lot of this, I think I learned just about myself is from traveling. Yeah. You know, yeah. I go to some city in 
uh, you know, some other part of the world. You know, I went, I've been all over the world. So I go to like Singapore. I don't know anything about Singapore. Like I look up stuff and find hotels and things to do. All of my favorite thing about any things, about any trips that I've taken, yeah. it wasn't on the list of stuff I'm going to do. Right. I did all that stuff and you have to, you have to have a, a path of some kind, right? You don't just stand in Japan and be like, okay, <laughs> all the cool things. You find something, it's like, oh, you can go, you can tour some office building, like on the far side of town. So like, hey, how do you get there? What did you come across when you were getting there? You right. might have gotten lost. And that, you found amazing stuff that you, when you got lost, had you not got lost, you wouldn't have seen that. If you got on a tour bus, it took you exactly to five places you're guaranteed as advertised you're going to find those five places everything i experienced on trips and my favorite things are not things i planned that's a great point something that's getting you somewhere to the other side of town so that you can experience things you know and a lot of people don't like to not have a plan but if i can have an event and say hey come to my event and if i can get them to come without knowing too much about it yeah then you know it's a it's a win because and like so we did this thing um uh in october and then again in december um it was called delirium and it's a themed pop-up bar nice in the basement of hq which used to be three kings Mm -hmm. on broadway yep Yep, lots of bands and stuff and um we had this opportunity like several uh the guy the owner got several of us together um a, a mentalist magician, some burlesque performers and, and um, uh, producers and said, Hey, what do you want to do here? Like you can use this basement. So we totally transformed it and we had people come, but we didn't want to say anything because we wanted it to be this mystery that unfolds. And the first one was a Victorian horror story where you're, you're in this, at this party, but this woman and everything, all this Victorian stuff. And you look around, you know, you see people, there's themed drinks and some food. And you're like, you know, feel free to look around the parlor or whatever. And so people look around and then this, this like five or six minute act happens where the lady of the house comes in and her sister-in-law and she's out looking for her brother. And like, you're like, Oh wow, something weird. This is weird. Like you. And then after that first act, you're like, huh? Then you look around again, but now you have this context and all the stuff you already looked at. Now you're like, Oh wait, this is, this is eerie and this is upside down. And this person is like, has been partially burned. And you're like, <laughs> so you're like, you're getting the story. And then this, you the act, the second act happens. And then you learn more. And at the end, people are like, wow, I had no idea what to expect, but this was amazing. And to me, yeah. like that's the best comp, that's the best compliment I could have. Not, not like I love your band and I love the show. Like that's, that could have been almost like a given. But if they say they came to something that they had no idea what it was, that's the kind of person I want to know, you know? <laughs> yeah. I want to go to something that I have no idea what it is so I can experience it for what it is. And so we were able to get people to come for like a month. So then we did another one that was um, the Cave of the Yuletide Villains. <laughs> okay. so it was so it was the annual meeting of the Krampus <laughs> and the Yule Cat and – um Belschnickel, like all of these the villains of the pre-Christmas, you know, history and the Nordic past and um 
and it was presented by Scott Farkas from a Christmas story and, and people there again, and people came and, and there was a puzzle aspect to that too, where they had to go around the room and find a bunch of things and solve an equation. And then they could open up a chest and get a prize. And the prize was like these little super cheapy blinky rings, like Christmas, super just, you know, 10 cent rings that like that light up. Yeah. Just like little tchotchke things. Yeah. T- totally valueless, but people were so excited because they solved a the thing. They succeeded in something. They got to do a thing and like together, or they talked to people and they're like, Hey, did you solve the thing? Or what's, you know, people actually work together, which was the same in the puzzle hunt. We were hoping that people would actually work together and talk to people. And that's, so we made them carry that orange dossier. So then you could see other people who are doing the thing. <laughs> You could be, you could kind of hide from them, maybe if you want, or you could be like, "Hey, did you guys solve this thing?" Because like we're totally lost, you know. Get people to like work together, and so I just think that there's so many mini successes in this stuff. I'm really uh, happy about it. Well, Andrew, it, I mean, spiritually, it reminds me a lot of Andy Kaufman, where you know he was always playing with audience expectations. And, you know, I think about his big Carnegie Hall show where, you know, he loads the entire audience into buses, takes them to a local elementary school and feeds them milk and cookies. Where you go to a show, you're not expecting to get on a school bus when it's near its completion to go somewhere else. Like, how often does that ever happen in a show? But one of the things he said is, you know, you watch people turn into children right in front of you. And so, you know, childhood is filled with wonderment and surprise and you know, subversion of expectations. And so that's exactly kind of what you're describing to me. And so that type of thing is in my wheelhouse because as a communications trainer, what I do is I I help people prepare for public speaking engagements. And I always tell them, make bold choices and the universe will tend to reward you for it. And here's the example I'll give. Like I always put my money where my mouth is too. During one of the sessions I had, so, you know, the show Cobra Kai and, you know, the movie Karate Kid, I had a full Cobra Kai gi under my clothes. And so towards the end of the, of the thing, I put the headband on and then I take off my clothes and I re- I reveal I'm wearing this Cobra Kai gi. And then I do like this lesson from Johnny Lawrence and they go, what the hell is this training? Because this is like, this is for one of the largest health systems in the entire country. And so I've got, you know, a, a lot of people in this big company and I go, you know what? I'm going to give them their money's worth here because if I don't, it's a dereliction of duty where if, you know, I can go in there and be the corporate trainer they're expecting, or I can do something that's really memorable and hopefully it's for the good. So they take that and they inject a little bit of joy and surprise and something unexpected into their own lives. And so I'm hearing you describe this and I go, God, this is why I love following you and love connecting with you. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a great idea. Yeah. And I think too, it's like, we, you know, we taught a class um, about fun and it was, it was called the architecture of fun one semester. And then the aesthetics of fun at CU Denver uh, it was co-taught with me and a guy named David Thomas, who's, he's actually that professor guy in my movie. And we talk a lot about that expectations. Um, and also like, to me, something to talk about, like, I was in a band in the late 80s, Warlock Pinchers. And like, we were a great band. You know, we, <laughs> we, especially at the beginning, like a lot of bands, like we don't, we weren't 
very good songwriters or very good at instruments or whatever. I've got right. no musical talent whatsoever. But we we were so ridiculous and we had crazy props and like we did stuff that people had no idea. And we we opened up for Red Hot Chili Peppers. So so one one week we opened up for Butthole Surfers and people like loved us. They're like, oh man, these guys are weird. They're messed up. It's amazing. And then the promoters, like Denver's biggest promoters at the time, like they're like, oh yeah, you guys did pretty well with that. Like, how about opening up for Red Hot Chili Peppers? And we're like, okay. And everybody hated us. Like they, 96% of the people hated us. And we were like, we had silly string coming out of like our props. People were booing us. Like it just wasn't our scene. And like people were throwing, like throwing money at us, like throwing change at us. And like, then like uh, King Scratchy, one of the guys in the band was like picking up the change. He's like, I just made 74 cents. So like just taunting people. <laughs> so that next day, people go to school, go to work, whatever. They talk about the Red Hot Chili Peppers. They're talking about this opening band that they hated, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we gave them something to talk about and to, and complain about to their friends or what. I mean, we actually gave them something to say, you know, yeah. so it doesn't have to be even positive. And like, I've done other things that are like a negative example or negative press or whatever. But the point is, if you go see a band and people, you know, at work, you're like, Oh, I saw this band last night. They had a lot of great songs, you know, like that's, that's no one wants to hear that. Like that's, you know, it's like, everyone goes, mm. you know, where should we go for lunch? You know, so giving people something to talk about. And I think part of that, what you what you're interested in talking about is something that was unexpected. Like this that whole expectation thing yeah. is huge. So creating something for people to talk about. Well, there's a sports talk show host named Jim Rome who says, if you're not going to be good, at least be interesting. Yeah. And, <laughs> Have a take and don't suck. Yeah. And so it's like it's it's like um when he talked about the XFL, he spent so much time talking about that guy who went by the name He Hate Me. Because, like, what an interesting choice, like, for the back of his jersey. XFL jerseys back, what was that, like, 20 years ago? Yeah. You could write anything you wanted on there, and he chose He Hate Me. <laughs> and it turned out to be a pretty good player, too. Like, that's the thing. He he went to the NFL after that. The guy's name, real name was Rod Smart. But uh, he went by He Hate Me. So it's like, yeah, if you're not going to be good, be interesting. Yeah. And so, like, I dig that vibe, man. That And so, like... In, in terms of being, I mean, first of all, I just like to say you are both good and interesting. Um, so it does not surprise me that I heard you were associated with Meow Wolf. Um, you know, Denver has its new installation. I have not gone yet. I am going actually in a couple of weeks and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and the fact that you are, I would say more than anyone else I know, at least prior to the last couple of months, more associated with Casa Bonita than, than anyone else in my orbit. Um, those two venues, I think, generate a lot of cultural conversation. So the fact that you were part and parcel to them is not surprising to me. So let's tackle these one at a time. Meow Wolf. Um, tell me about your involvement with Meow Wolf. Yeah, so um, I... I, you know, I knew Meow Wolf was coming to town. My partner, Mariah, was actually working for them before they came to Denver. She was their first employee and she was helping them find a venue and um, 
trying to, uh, she introduced them to a lot of Denver artists and really got, went, went out of her way with the specific task of making sure that Meow Wolf Denver was about Denver. You know, it was, it was a Denver thing. It's obviously Meow Wolf folks are from Santa Fe. They, they made this really successful art installation, immersive thing. And, you know, so that it, so that it wasn't like totally corporatized and, and, uh, just a chain kind of thing where right, they just right. the same thing in every city, you know, and, and they, they had the goal of making, you know, doing something unique. They didn't want to just redo Santa Fe. They want to do something bigger and better. Well, and Andrew, I'll tell you just the year after I interviewed you at Denver Film Fest, I interviewed, uh, there was a documentary the next year of, uh, the Meow Wolf origin story. Uh-huh. And I got to interview some of those filmmakers too, um, oh, which cool. was, yeah, which was really cool. So um, getting to sort of hear the inside baseball of Meow Wolf and how that documentary was made and their expansion plans and so on, it was near and dear to my heart. So keep going. Yeah. And so, um, so I was, you know, I was privy to a lot that was going on because Mariah was working for them, but I came up with this really awesome project idea and I submitted it in their open call and it got accepted um and as time was going on they had another open call and i was like damn i have another idea but like i don't want to take from other artists uh so i was like i'm just going to not submit this other idea and just let it go because i want other artists to be involved too and i already have a project in but then i was like damn as i saw things moving on i was like this is this is a really good idea i hate to lose it so what i did was i submitted that project that second project with some people from underserved communities. One's a female artist and welder and fabricator, um, metal worker. And then one's a, a Latino artist, um, both Denver natives, um, both super talented. And I was like, if I can bring some people along, cause I'm, I'm like just another white guy, right? Like <laughs> I don't want to be the white guy. He's got two projects in Meow Wolf. So I wanted to bring some, kind of underrepresented folks. And that was Mariah's big thing too, is, you know, artists of color, artists who, who don't submit to open calls, you know, reach out and find them. Don't just be accepting, be actually inclusive. Yeah, be proactive here. Yeah, find people. And so um, it was a good thing because my first project, which we worked on for over a year, um, but it was slated to be in this area that they decided not to um, develop the first year. So huh. that's, that's back of house stuff now. So that project's on like kind of a permanent hold. I mean, they said like, it's not forgotten. It's just, it, it's slated to be in an area that's not open. So I'm glad, I'm glad that I did do the other project. <laughs> now I have this floating project that's, um, will be awesome. But this other thing is all specifically about Denver. It's for old Denver people walking around Meow Wolf, which is a whole different universe, metaverse, multiverse. You know, you're walking around and there's stuff from all over the 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 um you know the, the universe. But you see some old Denver stuff. And like only old Denver people are gonna know what the stuff is. So it's kind of an Easter egg somewhat that really makes Meow Wolf Denver Denver. Nice. Denver. So it's cool. I don't know. Did you grow up here or where did you? I'm a native. Okay. So, so I grew up in Golden um, and I am, last year I turned 40. Ah. So, so my parents, they're not natives, but they moved here in like 1971. Ah, wow. And so, yeah, I mean, they, they came here when Glendale was like the, the hot place in Denver. Yeah. Um, 
And so, yeah, I mean, I, I've been here my entire life. I, am I, am I old enough to catch these references? I think you'll catch some of them. So like the, these things are all defunct Denver stuff. So like nothing that exists now, Yeah. but um, the last one probably went out in the nineties. Cool. A couple of them went out in the nineties, but were like not as popular probably since the eighties. Um, some started in the sixties through like nice. the nineties, eighties or nineties. So you, you'll probably recognize some stuff cool. We have different and they're all signs. I'll give you that much. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and it, it, there again, it's like, if you're, if you're walking around and you see something, you're like, Oh my God, that's a place I went as a kid. That's so cool. That's in Yellow Wolf. And someone that you're with your spouse or your friend. And they're like, wait, what do you mean? And then you could be like, Oh, this place, blah, blah, blah. It's like, not only did you give someone a fun gestalt kind of like realization, memory of their childhood, but then someone who didn't, you know, they saw that, but it didn't resonate with them. Yeah. Now they get to hear the story and they, so you get to know, you get to learn something about something that you saw and didn't resonate. And then you get to find out. Totally. Next time you go, you can tell them that, you know, so it's, it kind of gets passed along just like history would. Yeah, yeah, it's it it becomes like part of the mythology uh, of the way people experience the city, um, and I'm I'm not going to ask you to confirm or deny any of the places I'm going to mention, but like the other day, you know, I my friend who grew up here, you know, we mentioned the old restaurant around the corner, you know, which like hasn't existed in I don't know how long, but. You know, we'll we'll talk about old Denver when we were in high school and, you know, coming down to like Paris on the Platte and, you know, talking about smoking strawberry cigarettes yeah. or uh, going to whatever. Uh, God, what does that area of town even called? But like uh, where Shakespeare's used to be. Um, and, and they're just there's these relics of Denver past or like going to Rock Island or Hollywood Legends or, you know, any any of these places where you could go as a teenager and actually experience the city, uh, a, a lot of those places don't exist anymore. And granted, I don't know where teenagers hang out now. I'm sure they're cultivating their own thing. But it's it's part of an identity of a Denver that no longer exists for so many people. And yeah. so hearing you describe that um, and having Easter eggs for people who who can experience the city in a way that newcomers can't and pass that history along, and that's cool. Yeah. And I don't, I don't totally lament things that go away. Like, no, to- yeah, you're right. That, that is a trap. Like I, you know, some people are like, they're like, oh, you know, famous pizza got replaced by voodoo donuts and voodoo donuts. That's just some corporate thing that sucks, whatever. It's like, well, voodoo donuts is actually a really cool punk rock thing in Portland that yeah. <laughs> it was so cool. They put it in other cities. So like, is that a chain kind of, but is it corporate? Not really. You know, it's yeah, like, it- it's like, is illegal pizza chain? Like illegal pizza is still cool as hell. Yeah. But, but there's a bunch of them. Yeah. But, and that's from Denver. So right. when you go to illegal pizza somewhere else, like I think he's talking about opening one in Arizona or something. It's like. I think there's one there now. Yeah. So that's cool, right? It's like some Denver did something good. And so I think there's a place for old defunct things that they can live on by by memories and talking about them and stuff and it's like you know sometimes i was like oh i wish i could go to whatever around the corner was great they had the pizza (laughs) burger at around the corner it was like a hamburger with pizza sauce and like mozzarella cheese (laughs) around the corner you sit at the table and you pick up the phone phone, yeah amazing i love it 
And so, yeah, the fact that that doesn't exist, like if, if I, if I had friends come in town, I would take them there. If I had kids, you know, sure. So, but like, I just, I can't live in the past and cities change and Denver's changed a lot. So like, you know, I'm not anti-change, um, but I don't want to forget that past. I want to keep it going and keep talking about it. And Glendale is a great example. What a cool, we're now kind of a little bit kind of nameless, faceless, but like the things that happened there is amazing. Dude, Andrew, I got a shirt that says Celebrity Sports Center on it. Yeah. And, and so like another great example, I and I don't know why that went away, but it did. And it in some ways it's too bad that it went away because I, I thought it was a great place. But you know what? It exists inside a happy place in my memory. So it's fun to talk about it with other fellow Denverites. Yeah, for sure. For yeah. sure. And yeah, Celebrity was, I grew up on Colorado Boulevard and like, at a very young age, like my mom would put my brother and I on the bus and we just go up to Celebrity Sports Center with the summer fun book and we could bowl, go swimming, water slides, video games. We spend all day there. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. It, it was phenomenal. My, uh, one of my best friends, his birthday is on Christmas Eve. And he said it was the only place I could have a birthday party where we could go swimming. So, That's and I awesome. thought, yeah, that's pretty much true. <laughs> Um, do you, do you know Michael Anderson, the, um, the little person from Twin Peaks and, oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, I met him at a Twin Peaks fan festival <laughs> as you do. Cause I was a big fan of Twin Peaks. Oh God. You and Chris Getson. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. In the nineties, I went to this fan fest and I got to hang out with Michael Anderson and he lived in Denver for a time. And so I was like, oh, wow, really? You lived in Denver? And I, and I was asking him, because he actually worked at um, Martin Marietta. Oh, geez. Okay. And there's some kind of internal video of Martin Marietta where they said, like, how does this rocket work? And it's like, oh, wait, there's a little guy inside there, like, running it. Like, I mean, it was so crazy. And he was, like, the guy. I was like, I would love to see that video. <laughs> But I was, you know, I was thinking about stuff in Denver, bringing up, and I was like, "Oh, did you ever go to Celebrity Sports Center?" And he's like, "He's like, I lived right by Celebrity Sports Center. That's where I learned to smoke." <laughs> so they would cut school and go hang out behind Celebrity and like try smoking. You know, like I was like, "Oh my god!" I'm talking to the little man from another place in Twin Peaks about smoking at Celebrity Sports Center. Oh like, god, that's funny. Love it. Yeah, we went when they when it was closing in like the '90s. They were having an auction because like they had that shooting gallery where yeah. you like shoot like a beam of light and like the the hat would flip up and there's a rattlesnake that was moving this animatronic and like I knew stuff like that would go for a lot in the video games but we ended up just kind of sneaking around and we found some locker room behind the swimming pool and we found some some um, uh, like polo shirts like red polo shirts that says Celebrity Sports Center on it. Sweet. And then some ashtrays that says celebrity. So we didn't get anything in the auction, but we actually got some mementos of celebrity just by walking around. Just by doing what you do. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to, I want to talk about this. We don't have a ton of time left, but we got to talk about Casa Bonita because Casa Bonita has been sold to Matt, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone. And I know you were instrumental in trying to get Casa Bonita saved because during the pandemic, Casa Bonita was taking a huge beating. You'd been there, what, 300 times? Is that yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> and 
so you were you were part of this crew trying to make sure it was sold and then when it was sold to them i remember reading uh it was it was before you'd met with them and i remember you were a little bit hesitant about them buying it um but it sounds like you met with them things are good can you take me through that a little bit yeah so i mean I'm such a huge fan. Like people say, I'm like the number one fan of Casa Bonita. I had my 300th visit. I had a giant party. I remember over 400 people in 2019. And I mean, and they've got to love you, man. Like they've got to just absolutely love you. You're like the brand ambassador for Casa Bonita. Yeah, totally. I'm like the unofficial mayor of Casa Bonita. (laughs) I love that. That's a title. Yeah. And so, and I've always thought like, what, what would happen if I could run this place, cause I had like lots of ideas and I, we tried to meet with them and like, they they were so staunchly narrow about what they do. They wouldn't really go around it. Like I was able to do my big party there and have a bunch of customizations cause I made it a benefit. And oh, they had okay. this really narrow thing where like a school could have a benefit. And then the teacher or the principal could get on stage with black Bart and have a gunfight and stuff. So like I finally figured out a way to get, get in to do my own stuff there but they wouldn't do like we came up with all sorts of great ideas so it's like they closed in the pandemic i was following the parent company who who was like a you know penny stock hugely in debt i was like man i gotta make a play to try to buy this yeah Yeah. and like they were they weren't really totally in in the possibility of closing like it's a very profitable place they just couldn't open. They didn't want to open unless they could open at a hundred percent because their profit margin is like has to do with capacity, you know, sure, so sure. piece of thousand people. So they didn't want to open like at the first, you know, when restaurants could open, they could only open for 50 people. And then they, there was like 250 people depending on the square footage and number of rooms and stuff. And they, they didn't want to open unless they could open. But the crazy thing is they just quit paying rent. <laughs> they didn't, they rent the entire pandemic. And they got a million six in PPP loans that they didn't spend. What? Like they're ridiculous. It's it's this parent company that's out of Scottsdale. They they own 24 restaurants all around the country, various kinds of restaurants, steakhouses, um, uh, JB's family restaurant, which is like, oh, yeah. And so they took the PPP money, my theory, and just used it for their other places that were open. And they got other PPP loans. So they, I mean, they could have, they could have been totally cleaning, redoing everything, fixing everything, employ, keeping their people employed. They didn't do any of that. And, and nor, and they can pay rent with the PPP, but they just didn't because they's like, we don't want to pay if we're not open. Yeah. So the landlord had this great plan to kick them out and take it, take it over because in their lease, which is the bizarre, it's a bizarre lease. Where it says if you don't pay rent for two months or you're closed for 60 days, we can seize all of your assets, including your intellectual property. Oh, my God. What a weird lease. Yeah. And so the landlord's like, hey, you guys haven't paid for 12 months. And they and I, I and I was talking to the owner. I actually sleuthed out the owner's home number, which is like he's really hard to get a hold of. Like the press has never talks to him because he just never is available for them. And I talked to him. I was like, look, I'm a huge fan. You know, would you ever sell it? Um, I was like, I'm also a stockholder in Star Buffet, the parent company. <laughs> you know, I was just like, 
And I kind of made like a little bit of friends with him. We used to text and stuff. <laughs> like I just I didn't respect him as like I he was slowly destroying Casa Bonita slowly, yeah. Not just not in reinvesting in it at all. And so I actually got a group together, and you know uh, artists, business people, um, and we started kind of coming up with a plan. And um, we. When, once the landlord actually filed the eviction and then Casa Bonita um, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, not because they were out of money, because they just could, they was protecting them from getting evicted. I mean, this is a good, huge story. So it's, it's right. I'll try to keep it short somewhat. So so we actually we had a, a GoFundMe campaign. We made sixty eight thousand dollars. We hired lawyers in the bankruptcy. We bought debt from some of the people that when they closed their doors, they literally closed their books. They owed money to food distributors, mariachi oh, band, like all these people. So we bought some of those debts in the bankruptcy. A, so those people could get paid now instead of maybe three years. Their their bankruptcy plan ended up being like a, a three-year <clears throat> payback. And so by buying the debt, you know, the mariachis got paid for money that they were owed. But meanwhile, we become a creditor in the bankruptcy. Oh, sure. So yeah. we were, I was actually going to the hearings, which were on Zoom uh, at the time, and and as a creditor. And we were asking questions in the hearings and, like, making them answer to some of these things. And the landlord was there, too. And, and I knew that the landlord was also had this ulterior thing where they're, they don't want them to pay the rent. They want them kicked out, right? Yeah. And so – we were kind of working in tangent with them, but then the landlords were working with the awful developers who've just destroyed parts of Denver. And they're, they, they were going to be like the restaurateurs, which they're not restaurateurs. They're oh, landlords. Yeah, right. And so we were like against the landlords, against Casa Bonita. It was this Machiavellian thing, which like, what, what do you do next? And we, because of our public campaign and we were out, you know, had a rally outside with signs like Let, let's get back to cliff diving and and we had investors reach out and 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 mergers and acquisitions experts reach out and like we we got we got the money and we had to figure out because Casabonita wasn't for sale but we st- we got the financials because in the bankruptcy you get to know everything oh yeah and so we like working with the investor and the mergers guy came up with an offer. And the mergers guy met Casa, the the CEO, the owner, made a relationship with them and made him an offer. And he gave us a very small counter offer. And I'm like, we got it. We're doing it. Like he gave us the, the absolute smallest, like you would never take the first offer, right? <laughs> right. But you, if, if it was way too low, you would be like, no, it's like double that. No, he yeah. gave us like a, like a, like a 7%. Oh, Jesus. You know? And so we're like done, sold, whatever. Next day, because he goes to the landlord and says, hey, because the landlord, he owed the landlord over a million bucks. <laughs> and the landlord said, if you if you sell the restaurant, we'll, we'll settle on some of this money you owe us. So he says, hey, I have an offer from a buyer. Let's talk about the settlement. And the landlord said, oh, we, we're not going to we're not going to honor that offer anymore. We changed our mind because they wanted it, not. They didn't want us to have it. And yeah. they were already working with South Park before. 
And so then South Park came in and they just, they made a, a better deal, but they didn't really disclose the deal. And we said, we want a chance to counter their offer. Not that we're going to outbid them, but maybe show that we're serious and like, maybe we could go have a partnership with them. Maybe they can be like, oh, I guess we're not really saving Casa because these other guys were already about to save it. So we'll just let them do it. We just wanted to make sure it didn't go away. But no, they 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 wouldn't deal. The owner wouldn't talk to us because he he was starstruck by South Park. Oh jeez. No, he was he's he he actually had he told me some ideas that he had for them, like, you know, oh, they should premiere their movies here, you know, <laughs> like just like so yeah, yeah we, you're like, oh come on, you mark. Like <laughs> So we we lost out to the kind of the stardom and the money. I mean, they could outbid us all day long, but like, sure. so we 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 were so opposed. Like, and we think you know they they love Casamita like we love Casamita. They they probably do the right thing. Hopefully, it doesn't become just a South Park joke or South Park themed restaurant. But we couldn't get over them working with the the Zeppelins, the developers, and so we're like. So we got to meet with them and we're, they're a lawyer and we're like, we want to, like, we want you to work with us, not the Zeppelins. And like, you know, what's this going to take seriously? And it's like, if you don't work with us, we're sorry to say we're going to have to contest the sale because this was a back end deal. The landlord dictated the deal because the landlord said he would settle and then he wouldn't settle because it was us, but he would settle when it was South Park. Mm-hmm. We just said it was it was a it was not an arm's length deal, which is what their language was in their sale agreement. And so, so we so they said, no, sorry, you know, we're going to go with these other folks as the restaurateurs. So we objected to the sale. We got we got a hearing, so we knew we were like it wasn't just this this pipe dream. Like we actually got a hearing, and on the morning of the day before the hearing, you had 24 hours to cancel to rescind the, um, the objection. We talked to South Park and they said, look, we're not working with those guys anymore. Um, we want to meet with you guys and see what you think about the future of Casa Bonita. Um, and we said, you know, we'll, we'll drop the objection if you, if, if that's all true and you, you agree to meet with us and, and, and possibly work with us. Hmm. So, so we did, we dropped the objection and then, like I've met with them a couple times and we pitched ourselves as the restaurateurs. Um, I've pitched myself as like the mayor, you know, or whatever. And like, we really, I mean, the good news is we got rid of the old owner and we got rid of the developers. And so we're really not involved with South park at this point, but I'm hoping that they will involve us still. They've been pretty quiet, but, I think, I mean, we've said it, we we declared it a win because we really set the stage for that whole thing to happen. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, that's a long, that's a long story. No, it, Andrew, I, I mean, I've, I've heard you tell parts of that story before. Um, and, you know, I, I, I heard you on, I think it was CityCast Denver mm-hmm. um, talking about this and I, it's, it's useful to just understand all that context. Um, my, my main question for you is how many hours do you actually have in a day? Because <laughs> you're, you're designing puzzle hunts. You are doing guerrilla marketing. You are fighting for the future of South Park and you have this day job in addition to 
you know, creating themed pop-up bars and doing Meow Wolf exhibits. And we haven't even talked about your podcast yet. So how many are, are you like in Men in Black where they put them on a 47-hour day? Is that sort of... Well, I, you know, I do, I do work with atomic clocks, so I somewhat control time. Okay. But, well, time, time is the only quantity that's finite in, in the yeah, universe. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I think just, I, I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. I try to sleep as little as possible. I definitely sleep more now than I did, you know, sure. in, in my younger years or whatever, but I just try to do as much as I can and involve people who can help and, I just, I can't live with the day where you just go to work and you go home and then you get up and you go to work. I just, I want so much more. And I love my job too. It's not like I'm trying to yeah. get away from work. Like I enjoy my, my job. So I, I don't know how it's possible except for I just keep, keep going, you know, keep on keeping on. I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, um, I'll tell you what, from, from where I sit, I, I'm grateful for people like you because you're, you're bringing this joy and this like just interesting things and subverting expectations. And I don't know, man, making the world more fun. Like that's, that's really what it's about. So, uh, before we do plugs, uh, tell me, tell me about your podcast because we haven't talked about that yet. Yeah. So, um, an old friend of mine, Tom Banger, Tom Headbanger, he was hmm. one of the guys, he was the guy who, he was putting on those shows, those punk shows in the early eighties. And like, he was young, you know, he was probably 19 or whatever. And he just, just because, just because there's a band coming to town that he wants to see, he's got to find a venue for them, you know? <laughs> and, and I worked with him. He was, he ran um the temple of psychic youth, which was the um kind of the cult slash mail order company for psychic television, the band from the UK. Mm -hmm toured with them and he, he ran their mail order and I printed all their t-shirts. So I, I was like in high school. <laughs> <laughs> he and I, and then he, he and I have just kind of crossed in, in and out of each other's lives for all these years. And he's, he's lived overseas. He lives on the East coast now, but when we talk, you know, we have, we go deep into all these things that we've been involved in and what we're in doing now. And we're like, man, we should be recording this, you know, <laughs> recording it. We, we have this podcast. It's called Banger and Andrew's podcast. You can look it up in any podcast. We never came up with a name, but you can look it up and wherever you get your podcasts. And, um, and we just, we talk about, um, you know, magic and traffic and, um, productivity and, um, philosophy and witchcraft and, um, Poppy, we're big fans of Poppy, the uh, singer. <laughs> Poppy is great. Yeah, she's like the weird internet star who became a singer. Like her whole story is bizarre. Well, dude, and she'll she performed at a couple of WWE's third brand is called NXT. She's oh, performed yeah. a couple of times and has done entrance music there. So yeah, she. I, I remember Chris was like, all he was like, I I, I came up to Chris and I was like, Chris, I think you and I finally have a connection with this wrestling i want to go if poppy's going to be there i'll go you know yeah totally and so yeah so like we just we talk about whatever's going on um and uh we actually put a clue in the puzzle hunt because that puzzle hunt about the old venues and stuff so he and i had an episode about all the old punk shows that he put on and we actually put a clue in there so at one of these venues it, there was a, a, a an old venue, a, a old 
show poster, what looked like an old show poster, but it said, listen to Banger and Andrew's podcast. So we got these people like patrons of the history museum to go find, they, they're like, I don't know how to listen to a podcast. I was like, you're going to have to figure out or ask a kid, you know, <laughs> they had to listen to the podcast and we gave the next clue, which was going to, so Tom, this guy, Tom, um, he donated all his old flyers and uh, music press kits and stuff um, to the Denver Public Library History and Genealogy Collection. And so you can actually go to the library and see his all his old flyers. So people, nice. as one of their tasks, they had to go to the library, go to the archives and find a particular flyer and then go to that location to find oh, the next one. It was amazing. So, so, yeah, so he and I do it. We're on our third season. So our third, we've had two years and we do it. It's about 12 episodes a year. And we just had our first uh, episode of season three. So, yeah. Sweet. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll need to check that out. It's, it's hard. People always ask me, you know, what podcasts are you into? And I go, well, I produce six of them. So it's hard to find spare time for additional podcasts, but I will certainly make time for this one. Andrew, this is the time on the show when we do plugs. I'm sure you've got plenty to plug. Where can people find you? What projects would you like to point them to? Anything you want to plug, the floor is yours. Yeah. Um, my site is isaveeverything.com. I don't really update it that much, but there's a lot on there. Um, Banger and Andrew's podcast. Um, our pop-up bar is called Delirium. And the website's whatisdelirium.com. We're working on a spring show, hopefully. Um, and uh, Meow Wolf, you got to go to Meow Wolf. Try to ask someone from Denver if, if you're not from Denver. <laughs> what's the, what's in here about old Denver? Um, and um, what else? Oh, and um, johnbenetstricycle.com. You can go uh, rent the movie. There you go. I will put links to all of that in the companion blog piece. That'll be on johnofalltrades.us. Also in the show notes. So if you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, Audible, wherever you get your pods, you can find all of that there. Well, Andrew, this was, I'm glad we got to do this. Um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you and we should do this again. How long has it been? Four years? We should, yeah. we should shorten the distance between that. Way sooner. That. Way sooner. <laughs> um, and uh, just so I can keep up with everything you have going on, because you are a joy and a pleasure and a ray of light into the world. And I wish you nothing but continued success. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And that'll do it for episode 319 of the John of All Trades podcast. Big thank you to Andrew Novick for taking some time out of his incredibly busy day and everything that he's doing. Chat with me. Get us up to speed. What a great dude. I will feature him anytime he wants to be on this show sure to stay up with him via all those links he gave you. You can find those in the show notes, johnofalltrades.us. You can also stay up with me on social. J-L-A-T-Pod is the handle. Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Pinterest, and Instagram. Episode previews go up on Mondays. New episodes drop on Wednesdays. The John of All Trades podcast is a production of Deft Communications. Check out Deft on the web, D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. I'm a communications firm doing all manner of PR. And I will also produce your podcast. So if you have an idea, would love to work with you. D-E-F-T-C-O-M dot U-S. Email is john, J-O-N, at deftcom dot U-S. Our sponsor is 4Degrees, the number 4, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. Anything you're doing online, 4Degrees can help you do it better. Whether you're running a campaign through email, social media, or the web at large, they can get your message right and then get it in front of the people who need to hear it most. 
the number four, D-E-G-R-E dot E-S. I'm out of here for this week. This one was enormous fun. And you know what? It's February. That's when my mind starts to turn to baseball. And even though we're locked out, I've got something special for you. A good, good episode coming next week as well. The hits keep on coming here in 2022. I cannot wait to bring this one to you. So, until I hear you again, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, say goodnight, Gracie. That's good, Johnny.